Hi, Mason, and welcome to another 93-20 review podcast. This week, we're looking back at City's 2-2 draw with Middlesbrough, but also trying to expand that into the season as a whole and what we have to look forward to over the next 12 months with Guardiola. Uh, joining me for this heavyweight talk session today, I've got Stefan, Paul, and Sam. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi. Hi, mate. Hello. How are we doing, Sam? Good, thank you, mate. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. Stefan, you well? Yeah, all good after Sam's news yesterday. Oh, yes. Navas and his new contract. Thanks for that, Sam. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> We're talking like you actually gave him the contract, but okay. Mm. Uh, Paul, how are you? Fine, thanks. I do actually blame Sam for the contract, but yeah. <laughs> Well, somebody's got to be blamed, and at least we're not blaming Bagaristein, which is a start. Yet. Uh, yet. Yes, Stefan, yet. His time will come. Uh, okay, listen, I um, we're going to do this slightly differently, uh, as you guys know, but I want to go straight into it because it might take some time. Um, I'm going to start with this question. I'm going to start with you, Paul. What did you make of the team selection and the performance at Borough? Um, after re-watching the game... Uh, I thought we actually we played better than I thought we did live. Okay. Um, the team selection, if you're going to go with that formation, it pretty much picks itself, uh, with the exception of Garcia. But Garcia was worth a go uh, for for the job that he was meant to do. That was fine. Um, all can all all roads led to the two strikers, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that seems to be what the logic behind this was. Let's play a way that we can in order to fit these two together and. Um, I wouldn't say, like, you know, they weren't Toshak and Keegan, but, um, the, <laughs> you know, they did all right uh, for, you know, very, very early on. There were some nice moments. I, I like the fact that Aguero was looking for him constantly because Aguero does have that kind of, that top striker greedy streak, if you know what I mean. But he was constantly looking for him, uh, which was good. So it's not the best performance I've ever seen. And obviously um, there were some bad points that we're going to cover but it was by no means the worst. So it was, yeah, it was all right. Okay. Um, Stefan, same question for you. How did you feel about that team selection and then the performance? Um, wasn't quite as, um, as upbeat about it. I mean, I, I thought that the team should have been, should have been okay. Despite the, uh, the, um, the fullback situation, the wingback situation, uh, which to me, it wasn't, it clearly, wasn't working after 20 minutes and should have been changed. And, uh, you know, the number of times both Clichy and Navas get into great positions and, and deliver nothing. I mean, I, I counted something like five in the first 25 minutes where Clichy was in a good position but couldn't couldn't deliver anything. Mm. Uh, and over the game, I, I would have thought sort of eight or nine times for Navas. And I, I just thought it was it wasn't working and he, and he should have changed it. I, I didn't think the actual playing three at the back and playing with wing backs was, was madness as some people did. Um, but I did think that, uh, the game drifted. We started well, uh, didn't take the chance, you know, seen that a few times. Um, and then I think it drifted from about 15 minutes until, well, really most of the second half. And obviously they scored as well, but you know, look, it's fine lines. If we, if on the if on the gut where they score, if if the ball goes actually to Navas, uh, Navas is in yards of space. And when I originally saw it, I thought Navas was massively out of position, but actually he was in a fantastic position. And if the ball gets to him rather than KDB giving it away, uh, you know we've got an amazing chance, and things can be very different. But 
I thought we were okay in the second half, but uh, I thought the first half was, was poor. Okay. Um, I've put in my notes, I wrote it because arguably I think it might be the case. And Stefan, I'm going to stick with you for this. Do you think that's Pep's worst day as, as City manager so far in terms of the decisions that he's made uh, with respect to the team selection and the setup? Well, it's one of the worst. I mean, for me, uh, and I know Paul's probably beating the table right now, but um, you know, I think you needed to change it. I think the game was, was it's a, an easy game. I, I don't, you know, yes, Middle, Middlesbrough down. You know, this was a game that we should have won comfortably. We needed to win. We needed after what's happened over the last few weeks. We really needed to win that game on 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 um, Sunday. And you know, after the Arsenal game, after the it was an okay derby, but. We needed three points, and I, I just thought it was the writing was on the wall in that second half. After about fifteen minutes, we were just doing our usual sideways passing, getting the ball into reasonably good positions for Navas and Clichy, and then the ball just goes back inside and sideways, sideways, and then we get caught on a counter attack. And after the counter attack, we weren't to me we weren't even doing our sideways passing. We we just we were sort of shell shocked, and I don't know why he needed to wait until half time. I would like to have seen the change. I think it was. It was inevitably going to happen. Um, you know, his worst, I don't think it's his worst day. I think it's, I think it's now, uh, after, after the last few weeks, I just think it's a culmination. You know, people are, are obviously going to be nervous about the, the end of the season and unsure about where, we, where the general direction because of the results over the last few weeks. Yeah, no, I think, that's, I think all of that is fair. Um, Paul? Do you, do you do you want to do you want to get into anything that Stefan said there, or can I ask Sam a question? It's <laughs> a nice way of putting it. Um, I, I honestly don't think we played as bad in the first half. I think that if you go back and watch us, we created a shed load of space in the first half, like ludicrously amounts to the point where I was watching us on the replay, thinking this is really good football. This is, we're playing really well. We've just got not got anyone who like kind of was taking advantage of the space. I do agree with the Navas and Clichy thing. Um, I was a bit more forgiven on Navas because he's a bit more intelligent on his move, uh, in his movement. Uh, Gail Clichy had a Stephen Jordan-esque <laughs> performance. It was awful. I remember there was a game where we got thumped, and I always say that one of the worst City games I've ever seen is where we got thumped by Chelsea. I think it was about 6-0. And uh, Jordan had one of the worst games I've ever seen of any City player in my life. And Clichy was terrible against Middlesbrough. He was really, really poor. Um, everything he did was wrong. He couldn't defend. He couldn't attack. He wasn't He wasn't creating space. He wasn't moving into space. He kept trying to cut inside when he was too far down, which was a dumb move. And he was getting in Jesus' way. And it was just... I honestly thought he had a really, really bad game. Um, as I say, Navas, I'm a bit more forgiving on. Uh, because, again, he, he, he kind of, he didn't do a lot wrong as far as he helped the team, if you know what I mean. This is all Cruyff saying, which I don't think people give enough credit for, for Navas, which is, uh, um, we always think that when we say we want to help our teammates, that means we move towards them, where Cruyff always said, that if you want to help your teammates, you move away from them. That's, that's the difference in style of play. Mm. And Navas is good at that. Navis is good at stretching pitches and he's, he's good at like overlapping runs and all the type of stuff where he moves players away from other players. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he did that fine. As I say, I will stick with this though, that 
And when I was watching the game, I thought, I'm going to say this on the podcast and they're not going to like it. I think that is how Guardiola wants us to play. I think that first half, I don't think we'll play every game like that because Asane and Sterling won't fit into it properly. But I think that will become a regular option of how we want to play that four, uh, that, sorry, that three at the back with win backs and the two, like kind of the passer and the, uh, the defender the in the centre. Yeah, the that shape. shape. I think that okay. shape is, is going to be one of our main options going forward next season because, again, we created so much with it, so much space. We just weren't clinical with it. it it's the same problem as always. But I digress. But yeah, as I say, I thought that. City are schizophrenic as a team at the moment, and this is a perfect game to show it because the first half we created so much space, but we did nothing with it. The second half we created almost no space, but did a lot more with it, if mm. you know what I mean. We were much more man-oriented with like how we were passing and stuff like that. It was much less moving to create space as it was moving to get yourself in a position to receive the ball. So we're better playing in the second half, but the first half is how I think Pep wants us to play. So it was an interesting game to watch from that, like, you know, that mindset. Yeah, no, very look, we're not a million miles apart on on really one of the key bits of your of your question at the start. You know, so for me, the biggest failing that Pep had in the game is not the lineup, it's not the formation. It's cliche wasn't working, and it wasn't working from very very early on. We knew it wasn't going to work, okay, but give him the benefit of the doubt, give him a few minutes, but it was really not working. And so I think we're both in agreement that he should change it. What? Why? Why do you not change it? I wouldn't change the whole shape because of the performance of one player, but I would have I would have moved people we'll around. Or yeah. we'll bring on, you know, Sterling or Sane and play them in that position because we were getting so much space. I, you know, they weren't being asked particularly to defend. So I, I don't disagree with that. I, I've got to be honest. I don't disagree with that. Listen, I want to bring I want to bring Sam in here. Um, Sam, as a yep. kind of as a neutral, for want of a better word. Because uh, I've 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 spoken to a couple of non-city supporting mates, and they said something that I thought was quite interesting. Um, they said that they found Guardiola's team selection to be arrogant against Borough, and they said that they felt they kind of looked at that team and went, "Yeah, they're going to get beat." Um, did you did you feel like that when you saw the team selection? Did you go, "What's he done here?" Yeah, not that it was arrogant, but. And going back to the earlier point, I did think it was Guardiola's kind of worst day just because I obviously tried to avoid looking at everything in hindsight, which is what can happen with football a lot. But in the build-up to the game, I tweeted out that, you know, the problem the problem with this is Navas and Clichy are so limited going forward and not very good at the back and they're going to need to do an awful lot of both. Yeah. And then, yeah, about half an hour in, it became obvious that they were you know they just they just couldn't do it and there was other there was other key players in the system as well like when he played three at the back at Bayern it was always the left center back who was getting forward and early on in like the first 10 minutes you could see Kolarov doing it and didn't really lead to too much and then obviously Alex Garcia for one reason or another obviously a primary reason being he's young but he didn't really get very involved in the game and nobody got close to to De Bruyne so everything was just so disjointed because you basically got four players who underperformed for one reason or another but the reason I think it's Guardiola's like worst day and probably what would worry me more going into next season although not majorly but more than probably anything that I've seen so far is why Guardiola would do it in the first place because I just think surely he must have known what Navas and Clichy are like 
just it just must, just must have, and they they were so important in that system. I mean, they're not. I mean, they're not really fine when you've got wingers ahead of them, but they they abdicate responsibility. They get so far forward. Navas a bit further forward than Clichy, in fairness, but then they just give the safe option. Or in Navas's case, if there's no one to give the safe option to, then it's just you know try and go around the fullback and cross it. But when they've got someone to hide behind. They're fine, and that's, that was the case in the second half. But when they've got to go and be the protagonist and create and and find the right passes, they were just never going to be able to do that. And I just thought, I just thought it was really odd by Guardiola, unless um, my half joke. Well, it was a joke. Conspiracy theory on Monday night was unless he did it on purpose, so people go, "God, we can't play like that again," and that means he would never have to play Guerrero and Jesus together again because he can say, "Look, <laughs> I, ga- I gave it a go, and it didn't work." It's kind of self-sabotaged. I don't just think... a little point on that, actually. Uh, you're talking about like the centre-backs breaking out and Colorado didn't do it enough. Yeah, Otamendi was doing that instead. Um, in fact, I wanted to mention just a tiny little thing. In that I gave it out on Twitter saying about our defenders passing. And there's someone... I think um, I actually read a tweet by Sam and then someone else jumped on that and like pointed me towards it and said, actually, Otamendi's passing this year has come on a lot. And that is fair. He had one where he swung in across to Gabby Jesus like he was bleeding Davy Beckham. Was it was brilliant. absolutely pinpoint. Yeah. I thought, bloody hell. But Otamendi was generally like coming a lot more out than um, than Kolarov was in in the first half. I think Jesus misses that because he can't believe the ball's got to him. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like they showed it from um, when they showed it from the reverse angle. Um, He's kind of, he, he, Jesus is behind the defender and he can just sort of see Otamendi and you can see at a certain point, like very late on, suddenly he's like, oh my God, this ball's going to reach me. And then the reaction is a little bit, it's not instinctive in in in, in the way it would have been if he was expecting the um, uh, the cross to actually reach him. Um, but yeah, okay, I I, I, I I interrupted you there. Sorry, Paul. And on the, um, the Navis and Cliche thing, I mean, we, we keep saying like, well... It's very like we're kind of we're locked into what I would term English ways of looking at things in that we think, well, the wingbacks have got to get up and they've either they've got to cross the ball or they've got to like, you know, beat the man or something like that. But that's not their job. They're, we're playing a centralised system there. We've got like he calls it arriving Guardiola. But basically, when we have like the five, six men arriving in the box, they're, you know, they need the, the, the short pass inside so that like a De Bruyne or a Jesus who's coming wide and letting Aguero find space. That's what they need. That's the whole point of that. I mean, the way we switch from side to side... Um, sorry, I don't the, understand that, Paul. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, want, I want you to explain that again to me. Okay. So when you're talking about the two, the two wing-backs, right, and we're saying that kind of what's the point because you're asking them to do things they can't do are you saying that we're not asking them to do things that they can't do yeah they're not they're not getting to bylines and crossing balls in that's not the point okay the point is to like dominate a side of possession so that you switch the whole side over so that when we move to the opposite side it creates space okay do you know what i mean so basically we're, we're trying to create like I won't say zone 14 or 15, do you know what I mean? Like the centre of the pitch and like, the, let's say, the right half space as well and the right wing. We're trying to create space there by having the ball on the left wing and then moving it across quickly. That's the whole point. I mean, so really the job is that they, they do have to like obviously do the defensive work and all that type of stuff and tracking and blah, 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 blah. blah. But on the build-up play, 
I mean, what are we talking that they need to do? On on they need to do square balls, which both of them can do. They need to be able to be intelligent in the movement, which to be fair, clearly she wasn't. Um, but he hugged the touchline when he needed to touch, hug, the, hug the touchline. He was cutting inside a bit too much for my liking, which I thought was absolutely stupid of him. But, you know, it's something that he can possibly do. I think that the problem is they're not very good players. <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but they're not very good players. So we naturally gravitate towards them and say, well, they're rubbish. But the job they were doing was no was no worse than like De Bruyne's job, for example. De Bruyne didn't do his job in the first the, half. The key, the key moments when they were needed, they they weren't very good. And I mentioned crossing as well as cre- um, passing and just being creative in the final third, or at least approaching the final third. But I was sat behind the analysts, and I was making a note every time they put in a bad cross, and the analysts just chucked their arms in the air and looked at each other. There's jobs that they were supposed to be doing that they just weren't doing. No, I'm not saying that the job is never to cross. I mean, that's that's kind of but the wrong every, way. Every every I'm saying the job is the to create space in the centre. It's not to like you know get over there and get behind the last man and throw it in. The one that hit me the most was it was actually a Navas one rather than a cliche. But there were occasions where Navas was well, there was more than several occasions where Navas gave the ball away through diagonal passes into the centre, and that's that's the thing that I'm saying. That's the bad news. The bad news isn't like he's got to beat his man or he's got to do this or he's got to do that because that's not how we play. Unless we're breaking and unless we're on a counter-attacking phase or something like that. It's generally not how we're looking yeah, to play. Uh, come on, I don't think anybody's got to the stage where we're now saying that the, the only thing they can't do is beat players. right? Well, that's not even in the top 10 problems that we've got with, with Klusch and Navas. They don't score. They can't cross. They can give a five-yard pass inside fine. But if you want somebody to hug, on, to hug the touchline, I'll do it. You know, it's not a. That's not. That's not a, a good. That's not a, going to create anything. These players are getting into space where they're completely free. Well, it's not going free. to create anything. Hugging touchlines. They're completely free with the ball at the feet, and they can't deliver the cross I time the after point, time. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I think the point, Paul, that Stefan's making there, which I, I actually agree with, is that you. I think it's a little bit easy to boil down the responsibility of the two fullbacks to this idea that, well, look, because they are stationed so wide, they are there to effectively get the ball on that side and then move it quickly and try and get it to the other side so that we can exploit exploit space on the other side. I appreciate that, but at the same time, when the ball gets to the other side, inevitably it's the fullback on the other side who's the man in space. So all we're doing is... Just moving the ball from side yeah, to side. And by the way, we're doing it slowly. These players, particularly Clichy and, and, and Navas, they don't move the ball cleverly or, or, or quickly. They move it slowly and predictably. So, I, sorry, I mean, you're probably right from a, from a coaching perspective... You're probably right even in terms of what Pep's trying to do. But I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I don't think it works. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, no, hold on. I don't really... You know, this is one of these things where I don't understand what the problem with this is. These are not wingers. They're not, you know, we're not Alex Ferguson in 95 playing 4-4-2. The job isn't to get to the byline across. The job isn't to beat the man in a 1v1 scenario. The part of a team effort. The whole point of like spreading the pitch as much as possible is for is literally to create as much space. Because when you spread the pitch, you spread the defense. We play against 
like low blocks week in and week out, and we have to find ways through that. That's our challenge. We, you know, we're not Middlesbrough who can like kind of bang the ball to the great, and they didn't do that to be fair. But we couldn't just like you know play long balls all day long because that's not how we play. It can't. We can't play like that because teams will not play like that against us. So we have to spread the play as much as possible. Clichy and Navas. I mean, again. Their whole job is to stay as wide as possible. All right, well, to be fair, they played wing-backs, which is a bit different from the usual roles that they do play. But their job in an attacking context in the build-up is to, number one, look for the overlap so that, like, you know, when Sane or whoever, like, drops a little bit deeper, they're, they're going down there to create that, like, kind of space near the corner flag type thing and get into that position. And when they're into that position, again, that's, a, that's not, a, like, a cross where you need someone to get their head on it. That's a cut back into a centre. That's one of those scenarios. But they scenarios. don't do that either. They don't deliver but, that ball either. But we do deliver that ball. I mean, the thing is, all that, when I'm saying cut back into the centre, I'm not talking to the penalty spot. I'm talking to the half spaces on the left and right, which is where Aguero and like, our strikers yeah, generally live. Uh, do you know what I mean? So we're talking a five-yard square pass. If I mean, five yards is being generous, well, and that's only one scenario of it. I don't, I don't see the same. I, I don't see them getting. I, I see them getting into a zone often, which is a dangerous zone for the opposition, and then not either not knowing what to do with the ball and just basically coming back to where the ball has just come from, or actually trying to deliver the ball that you say they're not trying to deliver, but failing to deliver it, failing to complete the pass, and the ball just drifts into either into, uh, into defenders or is overhit or is just nowhere near or is cut back to a player that's not there. So no, no, hold on. We need to get away from the idea that just because they're not meant to do something as part of the tactical system doesn't mean that they're never meant to do it. I'm not saying that they're never meant to cross. If there's a good crossing opportunity on and they think they can find a player and that's the best pass for them, definitely do that. But again, that's not like kind of that's not what they're built into the game to do. Aguero can run back and like make a 50-yard run and sprint inside and tackle, but that's not his like his job in the system. But he can do that if he feels that that's something that's necessary. Do you know what I mean? Other people will work around him. But this is the thing. I mean, it's not just with cliche. It's with, like, you know, when we play Colorado. And the amount of right-backs we've played is just ridiculous. These Navas, Fernandinho, Otamendi's played right-back and obviously Sanya and um, Zabaleta. And he's obviously looking for something more on that side. Well, they side. all play differently, don't they? I mean, Zabaleta doesn't play like that, in my view. I mean, Zabaleta tries to break through, tries to find the gaps, tries to get behind the defence and cut the ball back. And, he, and, he, and he's successful in doing it. Now, he's obviously, not, um, he's obviously not fit enough to do it or quick enough to do it on a regular basis, but he doesn't play in the way that you're describing, in my view. He, he would never get to the line and then cut the ball back five yards from where it's just come from. That's not his game. No, but I don't think... Sorry, sorry can you say that again? Because it sounded like you said... He does that, and then he doesn't do that. I, I, I must have missed that. Can you say no, that again? I think, I, I think where Zabaleta is, uh, is on his game and has got the fitness to, to do it, Zabaleta's best attacking uh, positions come when, uh, when he breaks through uh, on, on, uh, on the right-hand side, beyond the, the back four, he gets the ball threaded through to him and he tries to cut the ball back low and hard. Uh, uh, he's not looking then to effectively get into the position that we're talking about the Navas's and Clichy's getting into turning round and knocking a five yard ball back where it's just come from he's looking to deliver something that is an assist not, not just a ball that goes straight back to Silva for Silva then to knock the ball inside and go from left to right again it depends on the context it depends on what 
like you know he's happening in the match. Zabaleta will do that. Zabaleta will look at the ball and then say, "Well, there's nothing on here. Let's move to the side." And I mean, can we get rid of this idea as well that side passing is somehow wrong? Like all our chances are created through side passing at some way or another. Do you know what I mean? Are they, so, Paul, look, let me let me stop you there. I think I do. I think we can quite easily disappear down a rabbit hole um, of. I think we already have them. Yeah, a fullback talk. Um, but I think that for me, I think that there's something in the middle. And Sam, I want to I want to bring you into this, which is that I can see where Paul's coming from in in that the the principles of what the wing backs need to do that maybe we're being a little bit harsh on Clichy and Navas in that you know. Because literally, the, if, if we're talking about the idea that they can't do anything that Guardiola needs them to do in that position, I'm not convinced that they'd be getting picked as regularly as they have been picked. But is it fair to say that that team selection on Sunday may have been affected by the fact that Sane and Sterling play on the Thursday and also that their form in the last two or three weeks has dipped quite considerably and so it kind of, rather than, so rather than looking at it from the point of view of what is Guardiola doing there, why is Sterling and Sarnay on the bench, that's nonsense. Maybe look at it from the point of view of his hands are kind of tied because those two need a rest. It does allow him then to play Aguero and Jesus together, but to do that, then he's got to play with wing backs. So it's kind of like a series of compromises because he has he's had to make a series of decisions as opposed to just kind of waking up and going, well, today I'm going to drop Sterling and Sane and play Clichy and Navas as wingbacks. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely get that. And I think the reason that they were, they probably came on five minutes into the second half was probably just because, I suppose, five minutes less Premier League action probably makes a difference in terms of fitness and muscle fatigue and all that. But also just they probably wanted to make sure that they were 100% ready to come on. So I think that definitely does come into it, yeah. Um, but also, you've got the other benefits of playing that system. As we said right back at the start, and this is something I've said before, three at the back and that kind of system is definitely going to be used again next season as long as they can get the players to do it. And I think... I've, I don't know about arrogance to, bring, to go back to that point, but I think there might have been confidence, considering especially that it's Middlesbrough, um, that even though the players aren't quite able to do it, the players available aren't able to do it, that it could work. And also, if you bring it in, now the players who are going to stick around, they're going to, you know, they're going to have more experience of playing it. And, and for next season, especially if you look at Jesus and um, De Bruyne and to a lesser extent, Fernandinho and maybe Otamendi and company as well, it's just, it's a way for them to, to get used to it too. Yeah, it wasn't, I don't think he just decided just for for only one reason to to play through it at the back. I think there were a lot of factors that went into it and I could see the thinking behind it, but like I say, the the main problem I thought ahead of it was two very important players here aren't capable of making the difference and as the game went on, like I say, there were other players who, who didn't make the difference either and basically we ended up with Aguero and and um, Jesus playing next to each other. Jesus not really being able to get in the game or when he did miss control on it, which is fine because he's been out for ages. And then De Bruyne. So it was essentially just three attackers kind of stranded in the middle. 
Um, but yeah, I do agree that there were there would have been diff- different factors that went into it. Okay. I thought for a minute that Sam was going to tell us that uh, because he's playing with these players that are going to be here next season, and this is the first time you've got to run out the three at the back, and you're going to see some of these players that are going to be around next season, that Clichy was also going to get this new contract. So he <laughs> needs time at left back to understand <laughs> the system at wing back. Uh, that really will finish me off. Stefan, uh, no. Stefan, Stefan, Stefan. I will, I will definitely be sending somebody to check on your well-being if uh, if Clichy gets a new contract. Can, can I just that. just raise something? It's the Sterling situation, right? Because I think Pep's got a bit to answer for actually in relation to the Sterling's man management. I want to talk about this in part two. You can't talk uh, about it. You, here. Yeah, okay. I've got it in the notes for part two, so it can't go in here. Uh, okay, uh, last part, part one before we move into part two. Every game this season for me that we've dropped points in has felt like a microcosm of the whole season, primarily because I feel as though we're kind of dealing with the same issues or having the same complaints over and over and over again. So whether it's the fullbacks aren't good enough, the finishing needs to be better, it just feels like we've we've kind of had in all the games that, that we've dropped points and we've had the same issues. I'm not necessarily saying with Borough that was the case, but just in general. Moving forward into, I guess, the summer and into pre-season and into next season. Um, I'm going to start with you, Paul, again. Uh, what's your biggest concern moving into next season? Just based on everything, all the football that you've seen as a City fan, knowing what you know about Guardiola, what is your biggest concern? Hmm. <laughs> it's tough to rank them. Uh, <laughs> I would say... My biggest concern for the team um, next season, or my biggest concern that I feel might affect the performance next season, is the fact that we have lots of players with lots of ability in our team who don't seem to be getting it. Uh, That, to me, is something that I, I would have thought we'd be further along in his kind of, in his timeline than we are now. Um... The fact that De Bruyne is having to play almost a holding midfield role at times is is alarming. Um, just because we don't have anyone there who can do anything like that, with the exception of Ayar Torre, who like can't defend and blah 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 blah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we have we have quality in the team, but we have a dangerous lack of vision and creativity outside of the front five. Let's say. Okay. Um- are you concerned about anything that Guardiola has done uh, or you think he will do, whether that be selling players, a tactical change? Like what, other than the, the idea of the big players... Oh, right, yeah. Um, is there anything from a, from a, from a coach? Yeah, standpoint? there is actually. And this is, this is going to sound picky, but there is in the... Picky podcast. I know. <laughs> this is going to sound quite picky, actually. But I don't like... That after the last international, I think it was the international break. I might be wrong, but he switched back to well, he switched to a four-two-three-one. Yeah. Um, and I felt that was almost like a backward step. The thing is with Pep, he he, he kind of he gets, in my view, he get he gets like kind of a strange press, in that he's always like you know he plays his football and he does this and he does this and that's like kind of what he's known for the most, but like kind of. Um, in the coaches that I talk to and stuff like that, we all like kind of think the most of him that he is um, a problem solver. He's an innovator. That's the thing he's good at. 
that's the thing he's the best at. He's finding new solutions to old problems. And you can see it at City. In the, he's, he's constantly going through things, thinking, "Well, and how do you know? I've got this problem. How do I solve it? Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll put Navas at right back." You know, he's constantly looking for the way to like get everything to mesh together. I think that going to a four-two-three-one, and even in the second half yesterday, uh, well, not yesterday, but even in the second half against Bar, um, I thought to myself, "This is." It's not giving up his principles. That's way too far of a stretch. But it's almost saying to the team, you guys want to play in a certain way with that looks a little bit like how I want you to play. So just go out and do that because you're more successful at that at the moment. Do you know what I mean? There is an element where I wonder if he's... Compromised um, his convictions. Not, not so much... Yeah, to, to a degree, but not so much compromises in like give him up but he's just said well alright we've got a few games left we've got X amount of games to the end of the season after our international break whatever it was seven or eight and they're all important games and a trip here let's go out and win football matches you guys seem to know how to play in this particular way so I'm going to try and adapt to like I'll adapt to the team rather than the team adapting to me and that's more disappointing than anything else because um, although they're still playing to his principles to a degree in the first half, that was a pep team. In the second half, that wasn't as much of a pep team. That was more a Man City team with Pep as manager. Do you know what I mean? And I think we should be striving for the first and not the second. Okay. So that's the side of the thing I'm a little bit disappointed in. In that he kind of he's he's he, he, he's not stopped off. He's not hit the brakes, but he's like come off the accelerator a little bit with that sort of stuff. And I'd like to see him go the opposite direction and go even further with it. That's super interesting. I'll come back to that because I, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, Stefan, what about for you? Like if we kind of use Borough as the jumping off point for this particular question in terms of where we stand today, what's your biggest concern moving into next season? Obviously, other than getting recruitment right, because it goes without saying that yet we have to get our recruitment right. Yeah. But beyond that, what? Well, recruitment is the number one thing, definitely. Yeah. But but I think just going, just following on from what Paul said. So I see two things. One, I think he's all over the place, right? I think Pep is. Uh, I expected a manager with absolute conviction in what he was doing. Uh, I would have expected that he would have had before he arrived a detailed and deep understanding of the squad that he'd inherited. Uh, I would have thought that the decisions that he made in terms of retention of players that we felt ourselves as fans that had watched some of these players for five years were not good enough. I would have felt that he had gone through a thought process and an understanding and a research of those players to understand why he was keeping them. Now, as the season has gone on, I've become less convinced uh, as to the wisdom that he had in, in making the decisions he made at the start. I feel as though he's been inconsistent in the way that he's treated both tactics and also individual players. Uh, and the thing that worries me most is probably uh, a few too many new problems to old solutions, which is an inverse of what Paul just said, which is uh, you know around uh, around new solutions to old problems. I think we've got new problems to old solutions. So the goalkeeper situation, the uh, Aguero situation. Uh, these these are if he creates more of those problems where a problem doesn't exist without fixing the things that we all know are existing problems uh, that's what will concern me about next season okay. for the record 
I don't agree with what you said about Joe Hart. Um, I didn't mention Joe Hart. Yeah, you did. You said I said the goalkeeper yes, situation. The situation. So, I, don't, I don't have a problem selling Joe Hart. Okay, as long as, long as we're clear about that. Joe Hart. As long as, as, long as we're clear about that. Well, then, 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 then what's the problem with Aguero? He's played. He's played every game. He's played pretty much say, every game. No, listen, it's the same. It's the same question mark over Aguero. Don't sell Aguero and then replace him with somebody you think. Oh, there's a chance he's going to be a pet player and he might be as good. You better make sure if you sell the goalkeeper or you sell the striker. You better make sure it works. With respect, I completely hear what you're saying, but the the thing that kind of gets my goat and yeah, the goalkeeping thing, right? When we signed Claudio Bravo, it's not like the world was sat around going, "Oh my God, they've signed a dud goalkeeper." Pretty much everybody was going, "Well, okay, they've signed one of the top five goalkeepers in the world." It kind of makes sense if you're going to get rid of a player and bring in a player that you try and bring in the best possible player you can. Now, they've gone and done that and it hasn't worked out with, with Bravo. But for me, that's not an argument to never replace a player. No, but then if you're going to replace and you're doing that sort of thing, you do it at the start of the summer. You don't wait until the season's already that's kicked a totally off. Different argument. It's not because it goes to that. why Bravo hasn't no, no, worked. I agree with that. I'm I sure it's partly to do with it. I, I, I completely agree with that. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you there. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is a more general point about fixing problems and about yeah. conviction of, of where, he, where he's heading and what he wants to achieve and understanding what squad he inherited. And to be still learning about his squad, and, and you know, we d- we will come on to it. But you know, Navas didn't play a game until April, and he's now got a new contract. I mean, what's that all about? Seriously. Mm. Uh, okay, Sam, are you still with us? Yep. Okay. Same question for you. Mm. What's your biggest concern as a new, or what what do you think should be Guardiola's biggest concern, or our biggest concern moving into next se- season, other than obviously getting the recruitment right? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, the the recruitment would be the the big one for me. Um, I suppose if we if we're going away from that and we're looking at the players that are here and are going to stay, then even the safe positions like De Bruyne and Silva, they don't score enough goals, and that's something that Guardiola said in public and in private. Um, you've, you're going to have ups and downs with. Um, Sane and Sterling as well because of their age, and I think Sterling in particular. So I think that you know that's going to have to be something that's factored in next season, and something that's factored in as well when people say City shouldn't worry about signing forward players because I think they are necessary. Um, but I, only that really, because once you take out the recruitment side of it, then I don't, I don't know what else there is to worry about. I don't want to have to seem forced to to find negative because I think if Guardiola's got a squad that is his which is going to come down to recruitment then well maybe I don't want to use the phrase everything's going to be fine but everything's, I think everything's going to be a lot better yeah. um, and then and then you're just going on to intangibles next season but I think if I think if the season ends as it does now in, in that post Middlesbrough mood um, whether City get top four or not and then he sells Aguero then he's going to have no leeway whatsoever from from here on in but then you talk about conviction and what more conviction what more proof of his conviction do you need first mm-hmm. off Hart and Bravo second off if he does sell Aguero then that yeah. sure. he knows he, what he wants he's wavered in between you know and so that's that's my 
Well, let's I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, right? And maybe he hasn't wavered, but it certainly looked like it to me. If you talk about those players, it like it to me as well. I agree with you. He has wavered. I, I think that I, I want to let me let's let's get into this, Stefan, and I'll ask you first because it's pretty much the question you were about to answer. Um, I've seen a lot of discussion about whether Guardiola's got the balance right between his own convictions as a coach and the evolution of the team as a whole and the players as individuals and what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. Um, and I feel as though it's a conversation that's been had throughout this season. However, I think it's a conversation that will have to be had next season as well because we are looking at bringing in five or six, potentially seven new first team players. I think it's unrealistic unless you're going to go out and sign six players that have already worked with Guardiola for 12 months at a previous club to expect them to hit the ground running. So I think that there has to be a conversation around the balance between what are his convictions and what are the characteristics of the individuals that he's got as a team. So Stefan, let's start with you. Do you think so far this season he's got the balance right between what his convictions are as a coach and what the, the I guess, the evolution of the team and the players as individuals? Well, I think it's really hard to read because, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the changes that have been made, uh, they, uh, as we we just talked about, you know they don't they don't all look like uh, it doesn't it doesn't look like single mindedness from from the manager. It has in patches, and clearly I agree. If if he decides to show the conviction of his belief and and, and to sell Aguero, that would be a sign that uh, you know he he will back his belief a hundred percent. But look look at the rest of the players. So so look at some of the examples. Uh, that we've all talked about. So the Toure doesn't kick a ball until um, until November. Then he's pretty much undroppable. Does he get a contract? Don't know. Uh, doesn't play in some of the key games, then does play in some of the key games. Nolito literally has disappeared since mid-December. Navas, nothing till April, then then he's got a new contract. Kolarov, absolutely first name on the team sheet, then he doesn't fancy him. Sterling, what, I mean... You know, Sterling, that it's a slightly different situation, but I just don't, has, what's, what's his view? And has he handled that in a sensible way? Has he decided that he's not fit? Has, what, I find it very hard. And that's why when we look at a team sheet before, it's, before a game, we, we're always pretty much always perplexed as to which 11 he's going to go for. Now, that surprises me. Um, but, I, you know, where it is and what his feeling is, I don't know. And, in, in his defence, the side that started, and I know he picked it, but you know, there's not that much leeway he had. The side that started the game at Middlesbrough had one, not, uh, one pet player in it. So you know, it's, it's hard for us to be, if the players are simply not there and, he, and not fit and he doesn't have his own players, it's pretty hard for us to say uh, you know, that he's, he's able to follow his own convictions. Do you think he's entitled to come in as the manager and say to the squad of players, look, we're just going to do this my way. You've kind of got to figure it out and learn on the fly. Um, or do you think that with the expectation that was around this season, and I'm, this is not, I'm not really trying to play hindsight management. I'm just curious as to you, what your personal opinion is, basically, whether you feel that uh, for the long-term good, what's more important, the long-term good or getting through this season with a bunch of, players that he knew he was going to get rid of and just figuring out a way to win as many games. I just don't... Yeah, but I, I, it goes back to what we talked about earlier on in the season. So we, it, 
if it's the former and we're just we're trying to teach these players and you know develop these players in a certain way, so many of them are not going to be part of the story next season. So so have we just wasted? As I say, we started with one one Pep signing. I know that a few of the rest of them are going to are going to be here next season, probably more than we expect. But you know what what. What's the what's the point in investing huge amounts of time in players that aren't going to be around, and that we and where we're talking about having to to get five or six first team players? Mm. Well, okay. Listen, I want to bring I want to bring Paul in here very quickly, Paul. Um, what I know what you I know the I know in general I know how you feel about this question. I know that your answer is going to be why on earth would he do anything other than coach the way that he wants to coach and get them to begin to learn. Do you see where I'm coming from when I'm kind of positing this idea that, look, if you've already said, you, you said to me before, I feel as though he's kind of compromised because he's gone back to four two three one, which is effectively going, you know what? Go on then. Do it the Pellegrini way if you really want to do it that way. Yeah, not quite what I said. I, I said that when he switched back to four two three one, he switched to... Um, he kind of moved the slider one notch towards um, how we used to play. That's it's not quite the same thing as oh well, just go and do whatever you want. No, do you know course, what I mean? Of but, um, we still play like a Pep style. We just don't. We haven't gone let's say full Pep. That's a strange way of putting it. But yeah, um, in answer to your question, uh, yeah, I mean, why, why would he? Why would he not? Why would he coach any other way? Uh, I mean, if you were a manager of a business and you have a real strong belief on how you should lead that business um, because you've been like wildly successful on two different startups or whatever, um, why would you do it any other way? For for what purpose? When? I think you'd, you know? Well, well, yeah. I, I actually think if you're going to raise that analogy, I think you would do it differently. I think you have to go in, you have to understand your personnel, you have to understand your proposition from a business perspective. And then you decide whether the old way is going to work in this scenario or whether it's going to take you time to move the business in the direction that you want it to go in, to have the personnel around you that can do what you want them to do. And actually to just plow on regardless, you know, trying to sell it the Facebook way when you're Skype is actually probably a recipe for disaster. Paul, please. No, of course. But the point I'm making is why would you take all of your experience? And let's be fair. This is what I've said earlier on in the show, where I said, Pep has evolved all the way that he's played football. Do you know what I mean? He, he's evolved all the way from the very, very start of Barcelona to the end of Barcelona. That was a slightly different thing. And then when he got to Bayern Munich, that was a slightly different thing. And it's a slightly different thing at City. He's often credited as this kind of unthinking machine that only does one thing and can only play one way and it's just not true um, I mean I think he's he, the evidence of his, his games say that it's just not true but he does definitely have overarching philosophies we're not talking um, would you go in there as like you know if we we're going back to the business thing I'm not saying like would you go in there and tell someone that you know if let's say you, you you run a burger bar, you won't tell the best burger maker in the world how to make a burger. Of course you wouldn't do that. But you know, you'd have simple philosophies on how you want to manage people, on how you believe people should be managed, whether you should shout at them and scream at yeah. them, or whether you would do this. These overarching philosophies are never going to change for him because but why should they when he's no, been no, so I, successful? No, I agree with that. With I think this is the nub of it, right? So I, I think you're right in that his general way of, of, of coaching has not changed. And his general expectations as to as the way that the team wants to play has not changed. 
Um, but I, I think for me, the biggest issue that I've got in relation to this sort of balance between evolution and what he wants to do conviction wise is that he's not to me, given that we're now in May, I don't think it's clear enough where that, where that balance is. I don't think he's clear enough what, what, what the ability of the players that he's got on the field. And, and you said it yourself, Paul, right at the start, you know, how can he conclude that Clichy is the right player for the role that he wants um, uh, for that game at Middlesbrough. How, how does that happen? No, don't get me wrong. I don't think that, like, you know, if if Pep's picking a fantasy football team, I don't reckon he picks Clichy there. <laughs> I don't think that's how he works. But I do think he's, he, you know, he wants to play Aguero and Jesus together and he thinks to himself, all right, Aguero, Jesus, uh, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, who's obviously creative for us, and Garcia, who's a little bit of an unknown, but, you know, he can... He's a good ball retainer and what have you. I think he looks at that in the centre and thinks to himself, "All I need to do is get these guys some space, and you know they'll sort it out." So I think he says to Clichy and Navas, "That's exactly your job. Your job is to go out there and be as wide as possible, create as much space as you can in the centre, because I've got two guys in the centre who can finish chances left, right, and centre. I've got De Bruyne, who is the he's not the leading club assist, he's not the club's leading assist maker, is he? Because Sterling's got about." 25 in all competitions but you know what I mean De Bruyne's a creative player and I think he'll look at De Bruyne and Fernandinho and Garcia and say they can deliver so all we need to do is create a bit of space for these lads and then it's not quite as simple as that and of course he's like build up play and what have you and it works a little bit differently but I think that's the again the overarching thing I don't think Clichy sits there because he's um, he's a Pep player and Pep Guardiola would have signed him at Bayern Munich this season if he wasn't like, you know, at City. But I think that he looks at his options there and thinks, um, well, it's either him or, you know, Korov will want to play centre-back because, you know, I, I don't think he trusts him at left-back. And again, he's he's the last of the last of the last options. Um, so I just think it's a process of elimination. Who else do you play there? I mean, uh, you know, outside of putting... Blini Angus gone there. I'm not sure what else he can. Well, I think he even put Fernandinho conclude. there at times, yeah, did he? he you know, that's his conclude. faith in Clichy. He put well, Fernandinho in his place. Well, I think once you go through that thought process you've just gone through, I think somebody that's closer to uh, sort of where he needs to be as a single-minded manager concludes, I just can't play that system because it's not going to work. I'm going to have to play something different. Yeah. No, but that means you can't play full-backs or wing-backs. I mean... You what? can. You could have played four at the back and How? played four of at fullback. No, but that's the point. He, he seems to. Oh, I, mean, I I would suggest that the evidence says that he trusts Clichy at fullback more than Kolarov. Well, look, I want to I want to bring Sam in here. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you both off, but Sam, are you still there? He's fallen asleep. I am. Yeah. Okay. Good. I thought maybe you just got sick of us and got off. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle this list off again that because Stefan kind of touched on it earlier and I want your thoughts on it. So basically, this this idea of erratically using players that Guardiola has done, where Torre doesn't kick a ball until October November, then suddenly for a few months he's undroppable, only to then be dropped for our biggest Champions League games against Monaco. And okay, there's the argument. Yeah, he's not really got the legs. But he sort of comes back and he's just not the same. Uh, now, Leo plays loads up until like November, December. And then suddenly he's gone. He's a ghost. You never see him again. Stefan's spot on. Navas uh, doesn't even get in squads for months and months and months. And then in April, suddenly he's our new first choice right back. And at the beginning of May, we're giving him a new contract. Kolarov is the first name on the team sheet until March. He is literally the first name on the team sheet until March. And then... Suddenly, poof, he's gone. 
Now, my question for you is, is this a lack of clarity from Pep in his own opinions on the players that are there? Or is it just the circumstances surrounding him in dealing with the squad that he's got and he's not really sure about who to trust? So he's, yeah, what what is this? What is this kind of, I guess, push-me-pull-me that he has with players? Well, just just look at him case by case. I think there's an explanation for, for most. Obviously, him and Torre just got off on the wrong foot, didn't they? And there was a big kickoff, and it was all about it was all about Selluk, supposedly. Although, got the feeling he just wasn't um, he just didn't fancy Torre and didn't want him to play. But then Torre obviously turned it around, lost a load of weight, and showed he showed he was willing to give it a go. And Guardiola's thought, well, fine, I'll, I'll give you a go. And then yeah, he didn't play against Monaco, and, and yes, yeah, because the first game he he got overran and it was too fast for him. But it wasn't just Monaco. It was Liverpool after that, and then Arsenal, and then Chelsea. All very similar games in terms of the tempo of the game. And if Guardiola let him go, well, sorry, kept him on the bench for Monaco because the because it was too quick for him, then it would have been the same for the next few games. Um, Guardiola said recently, you know, I, I left him out for a, a few weeks, and he knows the reason for that, and and now he's back. And whether there was something else there that we didn't know about, um, or whether it. Would, just simply because of the, like I say, the type of game didn't suit him, which is fair, then then there you go. I mean, and when he has been, you know, he'd come back in against against Hull. I think he did play against Arsenal once. Um, he had a defensive midfielder alongside him. That change had only been made since the first Arsenal game. So I think with Torre, there are reasons why he's, you know, been in and out. Um, Nolito, I think Nolito, well, I thought Nolito started off really well and I thought he was an ideal right. little sign-in, but Apparently he just, you know, he just dropped off um, in terms of in training and just performances when he played, and a- apparently he wasn't. I don't know. I think he might have said something or had a bit of a moan in public, which counted against him. Um, but then when you see him, like you saw him play against Huddersfield, that was the first time he started, wasn't it, in a while, and he was just shocking. So I think, I think he's just completely fallen away. Um, and then Navas coming back again. That was was it Arsenal. He started a right back. Yeah, it was because Sanya was injured and Zabaleta wasn't fully fit. So that's circumstances there. Um, and yeah, I mean he's done all right. But what Guardiola seems to be basing it on, from what he said in public, is he's got the legs to get up and down. Not just when he's praised Navas. When he's talked, we talked about the derby. He was quite honest about the fullbacks for the first time, really, and said, you know, they're all thirty-four, which isn't true. Some of them are younger than that, but you certainly see what he means. Um and he says they haven't got the legs to get up and down. So that's obviously what a prize is in Navas. And yeah, I mean he's been offered a new contract and he's probably going to sign it. Um but he's it's only because he he loosely can do a job there and he's he's not going to be first choice next season. Um and then what is it? Second choice. Well I think so. Otherwise they're there's not going to be too much point in keeping him around. I don't think. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you right there. If that's the case, so basically what you're trying to convince me of here right now is that with the number of games that we've got to play, bearing in mind that, you know, you're looking at the two, particularly the fullbacks, you're looking at them really splitting games more than any other position, that fullback position, you feel as though that most managers rotate them as often as they can. So you think Navas is going to play 20 or 30 competitive games for us at right back next season? Well, maybe I'll have to. But you, you say look at the look at the positions and all this, but look at the amount of players City needs to bring in. This, this is one part of the reason he's staying, because they can't sign 12 13 players and you can't really sign 
I don't know, it's going to be difficult enough with, you know, left back or right back to sign two and say, well, say to him in the negotiations, he goes, well, if you're signing Danny Rose as well, then where am I going to play? And you're like, yeah, well, about that. You know. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. They just, you know, the whole circumstances, City can't sign as many players as they need in one summer because of what's happened over previous summer. So that's part of the reason why Navas is staying and not somebody who actually is a right back like Zabaleta or Sanya because Navas basically is just the best option for what Guardiola needs. It's not a great option, but it's the best one he's got. So that's why he's staying, or at least that's why they want him to stay. And then to go on to Sterling, um, yeah, he he didn't do very well at all against Arsenal, did he? And he got taken off for that. Guardiola was quite pointed when he said it was a tactical reason. And then he, he hadn't really got too much of a look in since then, although he made the difference... Um, against Hull when they scored that goal when everyone touched the ball it was him bursting into the box like he did against Hull uh, on Boxing Day it's, and then when asked when Guardiola was asked about it he said you know um, I just wanted to go for more stability in midfield which you can understand and then interestingly he said it's not a, a lack of confidence or anything like that but I don't as far as I remember there wasn't there wasn't any suggestion of a lack of confidence in the question I, I wonder if Guardiola just was kind of overcompensating because um, well, I, I think that is an issue with Sterling. I, I don't think he's got the confidence of Sane and, and Jesus, other young players in the squad, and I think that he could he could learn a lot from those two. And he, he, he goes through that. confidence. No, no, I don't think he's got you know his own confidence. Ah, okay, my his confidence is as high as Sane and and Jesus in terms of character. And I think it probably doesn't help that there's this confused English mentality of you can't be arrogant, you've got to be humble. But when you've got fantastic talents and fantastic mm. skills and seemingly everybody hates him for that He's, he must be quite yeah. a, a conflicted chap and it's the I, stupidest thing in the world that I know I, I, I rant about this all the time it is the dumbest thing in the world that we say to who are world I mean the problem is I think it's because we see them every week we forget that like you know these are these are world class athletes as in Olympians these are that level of like talent above the Olympics if we talk about worldwide competition and what have you. And we say, oh, well, you, you know, you can't display any arrogance on the pitch because, you know, football, working class, humble roots, all that type of shite. And then you, you look at, like, you know, Neymar and Messi and people like Ronaldo yeah. and think to yourself, imagine if they were told at, you know, 18, 19, 20 that they can't show any, like, kind of confidence and arrogance and all that on the pitch. He just, just never would have turned into the players that they could do. It's sorry. That's one of my buttons. Sorry, Sam. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's, if, if you're going to interrupt, I'd rather uh, I'd rather it was to agree so strongly than to disagree. So I'm absolutely fine with that. Brilliant. But yeah, I, I, that's what I think about Sterling. That's what I think about us English people in general. Really, I I, I just don't. I think it's a bit of a, a national trait or characteristic that we we don't have that confidence. And I think I think Sane as a as a as a German and. Jesus is a Brazilian. There is very different types of confidence, but they're they're both very self-assured, and I think that they are more national traits that like, obviously English English people don't have. I think that comes into it. And this I, isn't I new, though, is it? I mean, so the manager, you know, this is not new about Sterling. We've known this all the way along. We saw it a lot last season. We saw it in his uh, final few months at Liverpool. Uh, and for me, this was an area where, uh, as a man manager, Pep needs to be careful because. I think dropping him in the way that he did, um, I, I, it's just not helped him. I mean, it, it's become counterproductive because 
um, he he has gone through. It looks like he's gone through a crisis of confidence. It, it's sort of highlighted by by Pep rather than fixed by Pep. And now our best player for the first half of the four, first two thirds of the season is now you know sort of ambling over the finish line. So you know is that not to me, that's man management of the manager when he, when he decides to drop him. He's got to be careful about things like that because you're not going to change Sterling overnight in terms of his level of confidence. Sam, do you think that's why... Do you think maybe because Sterling might be a little bit more of a fragile personality than, than, than Sane or Jesus, do you think that that's why he's volunteered what he said about it's not a lack of confidence in him? Yeah, perhaps. Because... I think it must be an issue at some point. I mean, I don't, I don't know how big it is at the moment, and maybe he's just tired as well because he is still a young player, um, and he has had a a good season overall. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe it's a just a bit of a a warning, maybe just just a warning to the media or to fans rather than to Sterling, just to kind of float it, maybe. Gotcha. I, like I said, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. You should be massively bigging him up. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you should have done what he did with Stones earlier in the season. That sort of, you know, that's what I think Sterling needs. Totally. Totally. And, but I think he's had, I think he's, he's had, he's had a ridiculous amount of praise from Guardiola this season. Yeah, but just keep going with it. I mean, the guy is fragile. We, it's not, that's not a new discovery is what I'm saying. We know no, he's no, fragile. I, I, I think you're being, I, I take your point completely, but, and I think. Yeah, I, I'm not happy with the word fragile. I, won't say, I mean, you don't get to that level of football if you're emotionally fragile, but I know what you're getting at. And I, I do, I, I do know what you're driving it's at. In that he, he seems a bit, I, I think it's he seems a bit, um, you know, he, he, he like every player in the world, he plays better when he's confident. Um, I just think that it's not so much him that's the problem. It, it, it's everything that surrounds him. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like Sam was saying a bit earlier in that, you know, he, he's hated for how good he is and that sort of stuff. And when you are 20, 21, uh, I know he's like 22 now, but when you're like 20, 21, 22, that age group when, like, you know, when you're going on social media all the time and you're getting all, you know, those sort of things are going to get in your head to some degree. I don't think, like, being dropped. And when we say being dropped as well, we mean, like, you know, what was he rested for a few games here and there? You know, he still played the derby, you know. Um, I don't think over the course of a season um, that's going to, I mean, I think the social media sort of stuff will have a bigger effect and the press will have a bigger effect than like the odd game where Prep will probably go to him as well and tell him why he's not playing, which, you know. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's a bit picky on Sterling. As, as someone else said, he's had a great season. He really has had a phenomenally good season for us. Um, he's probably tiring towards the end of it. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ever played the amount of games before that he's played this season at the type of pace he's played this season. Maybe in his final Liverpool year, he played a lot of games in that one. But, you know, he's been, like, you know, one of the first names on the team sheet. He's in a very pacey side, in a very fast football-moving side. And he's done, you know, he's done his England duty as well and all that stuff. Maybe he's just knackered. I mean, it could just be as simple as that. Mm. Um, Listen, I'm going to skip a couple of things uh, on the agenda. So the next thing I'm going to ask, Sam, I'm going to stick with you for this one, is... um, Bearing in mind that we're looking at another summer where we potentially are bringing in five or six players who could be going straight into the first team, do you think that the owners will accept another season of transition? Do you think that Pep will expect another season of transition? And what do you expect in terms of 
the difference between what's gone on this season, implanting five or six players who are maybe better technically, even if they've not been coached by Pep before. What are you expecting from next season? Sorry, that's a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm expecting things to be better initially right from the start because, as you see with even Liverpool and United to a lesser extent, if you've got something of a plan and good players, you're going to finish near the top. And I suppose it's the same as City. Um, they are going to have a good plan. They're going to have better players to execute it. And for that, I think City should still have enough to start the season well. And I don't just mean like this season. I mean, you know, into October, November as well, when things started to come off, off the rails a bit this time around. I think next time they will be better equipped to deal with that and um, and with Guardiola's demands because I think the players will just be of such a higher level than what they've got now. In terms of the system really taking hold, I mean, it seems like everybody around Guardiola kind of expected it to take a season and a half anyway. Um, judging by some of the things that have been said recently, I know Marty Perrano contributed to that article that was published in Argentina. Um some of the other ones, will the, will the board accept it? Yes, because I think on a human level, uh, the alternative doesn't bear thinking about. Because if you invested best part of five years getting Guardiola and then he turns up and it's not happening, where do you go from there? Um, as a club and as as the person responsible for that and as the person in charge of a lot of money... Um, I think obviously it would depend on whatever happens and if things don't go right we'd have to look at the circumstances as, as to why not but I, they're not going to I mean I can't see them getting rid of Guardiola or anything like that and maybe they would be disappointed and maybe they would look at him less as right he's because look if you look at the situation now it's we won't blame Guardiola we'll blame the players and we'll buy better players maybe next season if it's similar to this they would start to go Right, Pep. We need to see you in the office. We need to. We need. We need assurances of how this is going to work. So maybe the attitude towards him would change a bit if we there was another season like this. But like I say, in terms of my expectations, and sorry this, if this seems a bit rambly, I'm just trying to address all the all the answers, all the questions at once. Um, I I do think just the sheer lift in quality is going to be enough um, for an immediate kind of results and improvement in results at the start and then as the season goes on I think the, the players will pick up the methods better than the current crop of players have but I mean it is going to be such a leap because to go from fourth, fifth, hovering around that region to winning the league especially if Chelsea build on it and Spurs build on it then it isn't going to be easy but how many times this season have we seen that City have been close in about 10 different games where you could have said, and you know, 10 different games and most of them against big teams where things could have just gone differently with a bit more character, a bit more quality. And I think next season, all being well, City are going to have more of that. Okay. Um, but like, but like, sorry, sorry, but like oh. I say, there is going to be no leeway. Um, like I say, if he sounds Aguero, then the fans are going to be on him straight away. And so will the press. Uh, there will be, you know, there, there's there's people already who are kind of, I think, pleased that 
it hasn't gone so well for him. And I think if it happens again, that's going to be proof, if it were needed for some, that Guardiola can't cut it, and he's going to have a lot of he's going to have a lot of pressure on him next season if if it doesn't pick up just from the outside. And I think people will be quite gleeful in putting that pressure on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been there for most of the season. I don't, mm. it's, yeah, it's not really. A, I don't really pay much mind to to what the media <laughs> think in that sense. No offense, Sam. Um, Paul, more or less the same question for you. Yeah. Uh... No, I think it's nonsense. I don't believe in transition seasons. I think that's bollocks. I think it always is. I think every season that you play is transitional um, to some degree. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. I think that's one of those things that we say to excuse bad performances. Let's be absolutely clear here. We should have won the league this year. We we definitely should have done. We have the quality in that squad to win the league. Yeah, we have problem positions, especially full-backs. I'm freely will admit that. But... We could have done enough, uh, as Sam said. And there was loads of games where, you know, there's probably 10 different games where it just went on the odd chance or a mistake, or not like a tactical mistake, but a technical mistake or something like that, or just silly crap like that. Um, we should have performed much better than we did this season. Uh, I don't accept the excuse that, well, he didn't have his players because you never do have all the players that you need. That's just the reality of top development football now. Um, I think every team in the world, Chelsea can, you know, if, if it was the opposite way around and Guardiola came in and that run at the start continued for another 10 games and Chelsea was struggling, everyone was saying, oh, well, Conte needed like this transitional season. Um, it's, it's judging after the fact that um, I don't think anyone really sits at the start and says, I don't believe anyone in the media. I don't believe that anyone of our fans, especially not me, um, sat at the start and said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Um, We'll finish about fourth this year because we need um, a full year's worth of development. I actually made this point elsewhere um, in a forum post on Blue Moon where I said, we have prepared for this guy for five years. Why have we prepared for him for five years and he needs a transitional season? That's a nonsense excuse. He should walk into a a club that is... um, And if rumours about... um, De Bruyne, and I know that Ace and you interviewed a lad who, who told you this from Belgium uh, a, a little while back, where basically De Bruyne was kind of given the nod wink that Guardiola would be coming, and Sterling was given the same kind of idea that, you know, it, 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 it there was good chances that perhaps Pep Guardiola might be our next manager. And if you go through all that, where he's had some sort of control of transfers, um, over a couple of years and yes we're not going to get every single person we want every summer that's obvious we didn't get Sandro um, which I think would have made a big difference to us and we didn't replace we didn't bring in a right back that we needed either Um, but I just I I just can't get behind any sort of logic that this year's building because you're never not building when is the time then to win trophies because Barcelona are in transition Real Madrid are in transition Bayern Munich are in transition you still win trophies. If we if we aim to be the um, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, um, Real Madrid um, size level of club, and regrettably Manchester United, if we aim to be this like elite worldwide club, transitional seasons don't exist. We should be winning trophies in transitional seasons. Do you know what I mean? We're never going to stop building. The team's never going to be good enough. We're always going to need something extra. So no, I think that. Um, 
we can't just write off this season and say, well, that was just, you know, it's it's like, you know, you just wipe it off the board and say, well, that was transitional rubbish. We should have won the league this year. And the fact that we didn't is is um, definitely a failure on Pep's and the players and the club's part. I think Stefan is going to get right behind you here, Stefan. Well, no, I, I agree with the theory. I don't think we should have won the league, though, because I don't think, I think we're miles away. And whose fault is that? I don't know. But I, I, I think, I, I don't think... Um, it's true to say that at the start of the season, people didn't question whether we were capable of winning the league. I think it would have been a surprise for a lot of City fans if we'd have been able to win the league with the squad that we've got. I, I don't believe the squad is good enough. And, and I don't, I know what you're saying about transition. I kind of have some sympathy with that. You know, and we're at the elite end of football, and it's a bad excuse, frankly, to say, oh, we've got to have a transitional season. So I definitely agree with that. But if you're being fair, uh, Real Madrid are not in a transitional se- season. You know, if you look at how many players played in the European Cup final uh, last year versus how many of their first team this year, it's almost the same team. You know, almost without without any changes. Yeah. So there is no transition there at the moment. Now, of course, Barcelona they will need to, uh, you know, go from from where they are today because they've had a failed season and the side's getting older, and you know there will be changes and there's a change of manager. But I don't think it's true throughout Europe um, that, that that's the case. But look, ultimately, um, I, I do agree with Paul in that uh, the failure is on the hands of all of the above. You know, players, manager, uh, setup. What I struggle with is this sort of five-year preparation because I, I see no evidence that, aside from wanting Pepper's manager, that there has been a five-year preparation. Nothing was ready for him. The squad was definitely not ready for him. I mean, as borne out by our discussion on the fullbacks. And it's not just the fullbacks. It's the whole nature of the squad that people are now talking about. When, they, when we talked about this last summer, we talked about it needing two summers of transition um, because there was just too many players. So if you have a look at, um, I can't think of his name, uh, the, the journalist, the, the pep journalist who we're speaking to. Um, yeah, you know, if you look at what he's saying, they realised last summer that it couldn't be done in one summer. Now it needs to be done over over a number. Well, it's not even going to be done this summer. Which we're saying now already, we've gone from, you know, needing eight players. We're now down to needing five or six and giving Navas a new contract. And will we get the five or six? So basically, what we're saying is we're going to need to do more transition next season of the of the next the next bunch of thirty year olds. So it's actually going to take three summers to migrate this squad from, from the age that it is. That doesn't sound like it's five years of preparation for Pep to arrive. So I haven't seen the evidence that that's I d- been there. I don't think that... I, I, Let me just jump in here, Sam. But that's kind of what I'm saying, Stefan, is that when you, like, you know, we do need that three years. So when you get to that three years, people who, like, you know, were earlier, they'll be getting to 30. So now you need to transition them out of the team. Yeah, what yeah. we're trying to get is that transition never, ever, ever ends. If you look at since the Mancini season where we won the title, it was a big, the Van Persie and all that, Sanchez, that, that was a big summer. And then it's, oh, well, Pellegrini's just come in. So this is a big summer where he needs to transition the old Mancini guard into the new Pellegrini. Now, after we won the league, it's like, oh, well, this is a big summer because we need to get these people in because we've got problem positions. And then, uh, you know, in the second season, oh, it's a big summer because it, every summer's a big summer I, where we I, need I to go out and get them. Right. I do think that's right. But I think that the point, um, the point that I'd make is that where you fail to successfully recruit and, and, and do a transition in the way that we have over a period of five years, it means that in year six, the scale of the job that needs doing is absolutely enormous. And it, and it becomes a different 
definition of transition. We, we are now, I'm we sorry, now got, have to sort this hold out. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What is this arbitrary, we've spent five years try, uh, trying to evolve the squad? What is that about? Because Paul's right in terms of each of those seasons afterwards. No, we've tried to make no, signings. I'm sorry. I'm going to Big uh, signings I'm and sorry, we failed. It's to very make. simple. In 2012, we won the league with the spine of a squad that was good enough to win the league for the next two or three years. So when we talk about evolving the squad, one of my big issues is that, firstly, you can't buy for two managers. So if you're a director of football, you simply can't buy for two managers. So if you go into a manager and say to him, I want to buy this player for this position, and the manager goes, no, I really want that player over there. That's the player that I need. It's very difficult. I appreciate the argument that's going to come back at me as well. That's why you have a sporting director, so that they look at the bigger picture and they don't worry about just what the manager wants. But the reality is that it's still a human relationship at the moment at which you begin to impose players upon a coach that he doesn't want. Generally, that season's going to go down the pan. And so I think that in terms of... There's two separate things. Firstly, there's the evolving the squad. Well, to, with respect, in 13-14, in our best players were Company, Silva, Torre and Aguero. So in terms We've been our best players for five years. That's the sorry problem. When we won the league in 2012, these are the same, it's the same yeah, spine of the team. So, so this is what We I'm haven't saying. built on that spine. But, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you build on a spine when the players that you've got are arguably the best players in their position. How do you, when you've got a peak Yaya Torre and a peak Sergio Aguero, yeah. how do you, how well, do you evolve? For starters, you take the 2012 fullbacks and you put good ones there. Oh no, but this is, the, and yeah, that's, a, that's a really, that's a, that's, uh, I appreciate that we can be glib about this. Yeah. But I don't want to be glib about it. I'm dead. Well, I'm being deadly serious. No, I mean, no, 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 you know, I know you're not. I think we, we I'm, I'm not going to say these. No, hold on one thing. I'm not going to say this, but this, one of the points of transitioning every single year is that you do literally transition something every year. I mean, yeah. we've had Jesus come in, we've had Sterling, we've had Sane and De Bruyne and well, to be fair, just them on their own is like a whole new, you know, front line type thing. And then obviously Fernandinho um, came in during that period and uh, I'm running out of names now I'm Stones. thinking about. Stones, thank you. Uh, Stones and Otamendi came in. You know, I mean, these are players that are obviously going to take it forward. We haven't got that spine. Um, we haven't replaced spine as Stefan says, but to be fair, that's why it's a spine. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. you don't go out and like fiddle with it every single time. But you're right, we are starting to do that now. And also, uh, also with Jesus and with Fernandinho and hopefully with Stones. Fernandinho uh, is thirty one. He's not he's not the he's not the emerging you know, where's we didn't we, we skipped it on the in the agenda, but where's the plan in terms of silver, Yaya, uh company even? You know, where where is this heart? Where is this transitional plan to 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 find a new spine of the team? Well, I mean, we're I'm, talking I'm about something. I'm going to throw well. that to Sam. That's a fair question, but I'm going to throw it to Sam. Sam, um, I think that one of the things that that came out of that article in Argentina was that um, they kind of said that they bought Gundogan as like to be like the the Tiago, the the the, the Javi of this team. Mm. Um, and that they know that the team, quote-unquote, dies when Silva doesn't play. So what 
with with the best will in the world, what the fuck are they doing about it? Because, you know, Gundogan's dead. He's got one leg and there was always the risk when they signed him. They got him cheap, but there was always that risk that something would go wrong in terms of injuries. And Silver's 32 years old, so they can't expect him to play 45 or 50 games a season. And it looks like they're not giving Torre a new contract. So I think that Stefan has just asked a very valid question. What are they doing about that? How do they plan to evolve that? Well, Three of the signings last summer were three major signings right down the spine of the team, the traditional spine of the team that can all play Guardiola football, Bravo, Stones and Gundogan. But Gundogan's gone. And Bravo's Bravo's 34 and so far has failed. But in terms of, yeah, so far he's failed. But again, as as, as Asan said earlier... if he succeeds, he's 34. I mean, it's totally a long-term sign. As Asan said earlier, nobody was... And as is as is true, nobody expected, and nobody expected it to happen. What they needed there was a was a goalkeeper who could come in and help the team play the football that City wanted Guardiola to introduce. So, well, they obviously wanted Ter Stegen, couldn't get him, got a Bravo, and yeah, in terms of ages, he's not going to be there for ten years. But who is he? He could stay for three or four he could still yet stay for three or four um what have, what silver and aguero been there six seven years between them mm-hmm. um so you're saying that it's not being refreshed in terms of the, the you know the spine of the team but steps have been taken towards freshening that up with three players in the summer I think that's right. That the last summer they did make the steps I think the point I was making right from the start was that it was the culmination it should have started the day we won the league in 2012, as the manager at the time wanted to do. That's right? realistic. Oh come on! That's the whole reason Mancini fell out with the whole. Oh, mate, if you say if you say Van Persie or De Rossi, I swear to God, I, I, don't, I don't need to say them. It's but just, it's, we did not deliver for that manager at that time when he recognised that we needed to build on on that success. We didn't do it the season after. We bought players who were short term fixes: Negredo, Navas, players like this. We, and we've only started doing a more long-term strategy with the, with the younger players last summer. And there's a reason In many that. ways, the we reason, left it too late. The reason is that we knew that we were going to fail financial fair play. So there was absolutely no way that in the summer of 2012, we were signing I don't types believe of they players. did they'd fail it. I hold on, isn't that backwards? They would. If, hold on. It, no, let's just like take that as gospel for a minute. Isn't that backwards? Is if you're going to fail financial fair play, yeah. why fail it by a bit? Yeah, do you know what I mean? What's what, what's the point? What's the point in failing it by like a grand? Why not fail it by like fifty million, like PSG did? Yeah, no, well, in fact, fair. more than that. that, that do you know? What? And then we could have like you know brought the revenue back in the future years through like you know what it, have well, you? It's the same reason that Abu Dhabi don't act like Real Madrid. Do you know what I mean? I mean, let's be real about this. If we if if Sheikh Mansour really wanted to, yeah, then he could behave like the biggest swinging dick in world football. He could. He's, it, for, for Mansour, it's no problem to go out this summer and say, you know what, let's go and spend 500 million and buy literally in every position the best player that we can get and let's strong arm these players and let's strong arm the selling clubs. They're in a position to do that, but they don't. they obviously don't want to behave like that. They don't want to, they don't want to give the impression of largesse um, and I think that that's maybe one of the things that that 
Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're going to have to come to terms with. And we're well, these, these, can, these can we just bring this back for one second? Sorry, can we just bring this back to one second so that we skipped with youth? Because I really want Sam to come in on this. I've had to be in my bonnet since Pellegrini, basically, in that we seem to de- be developing lots of players um, and then never giving them that final step. So they're never able to like kind of take the step. And I, I, I always thought to myself at the beginning of this season with the fullback situation, I thought, well... Zabaleta and Sanya is not the end of the world because, you know, we'll probably buy one, but we've also got Maffeo out, you know, and he's like, you know, in with Perry Guardiola and like he's at Girona and all that. They obviously think quite highly of him. He had like an appearance here or there. You think, well, you know, that's probably someone who's going to come in. Inside the club from what you know and for things from you here, when is this pipeline going to happen? Because we just seem to be forever and a day waiting further and further for it. Yeah, well, I suppose this answer isn't probably going to be reassuring, but whenever he seems to get asked about it now, it, it's always about the under-18s at the moment. So the ones, you know, most of the ones, if not all of the ones who went on pre-season last year, that kind of generation, if you will, that that mm. age group, they don't seem to have much of a future, but the next ones are going to be more, you know, it's going to be the Brahim, uh, Sancho, Foden age group, Murich, those kind of players yeah. that they they are the ones that seem to be the hope now, um, but it's it's the same problem. It's well, it's a problem that applies to every club, um, but it's it's obviously harder at City because I mean it's it just it sounds so obvious, but it really is it really is the case where City are producing a lot of very good young players and a lot of very good young players will go and have great careers all around the world and probably at some established European clubs, Europa League clubs, but they've got a they've got to produce players who are better than players you can sign for forty million. You can go and buy Sane. So then you need you need to buy a player who's one of the best young prospects. So you need to produce though? a player who's one of the best prospects in the world. Is that true? Is John O'Shea a better player than uh Poyon? Do you know what I mean? Or someone of that generation that they could have bought? I mean can't you have like, you know, people in your squad who necessarily aren't the best players in the world but Instead of, let's say, giving, or to use an example that's going to enrage people, the Jesus Navas type of player, the player who can play several positions and will do all right. He's never going to set the world alight. You don't want him as your first choice, just like John O'Shea, um, but will do all right. I mean, they're the type of players that should be coming from our academy, surely. And uh, well, no, I, 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 I agree. That's a, that's, that is a good point. They, they, they probably don't all have to be world beaters. But even, but even so, I mean, to use like the John O'Shea example, I mean that is still an example of a very good player. And like I say, I put whether I was right to set set my the limit of my ambitions at Europa League clubs, you know, team, you know, producing players to play in in the Europa mm. League, that kind of thing. It still needs to be better than that at City. But that said, yeah, this season we did all expect that the gaps in the squad would have been plugged by. The young players, and then in December, when everything was kicking off with the defence looking shocking, and then the lads go out, they get loaned out before the January transfer window even opened. The two fullbacks, and you, you do just wonder what's okay. going on there. But I, mean, I, I think it's a I slight think... pop out, like you know. I mean, you know, if you look at United over the years, I think they are the best example. And John O'Shea got me thinking about it. Ferguson did at least he tried these guys. Right, not all of them worked. In fact, most of them failed. You know, these players that were the next whatever, most of them, even the ones that looked good when they when they played their first game, most of them failed. 
But two or three of them built careers, the Johnny Evans of this world, the John O'Shea's, the Wes Browns. We, we've, got to, we've got to be at least giving these guys, you know, two or three games to just, just see. I mean, we, these guys have played no, played no part in the season. I think what would have bought Guardiola a lot more goodwill this season, even after the sale of Joe Hart, maybe is if he had given, for example, Maffeo and Garcia more opportunities. Um, I think that maybe something like, Paul, what do you reckon? Do you think that maybe would have bought him a bit more goodwill with the supporters if we're working on the basis yeah, that the supporters I, I, are a little bit down on Pep right now? I think that... Um... I think if Maffeo doesn't go out on loan in January, he went to yeah. uh, out on loan. And yeah, I think if he don't go out on loan in January, and with um, Zabaleta and Sanya's legs kind of failing under him a bit, they think to themselves, well, he's not an exact pet player um, as far as, you know, he, he's not Danny Alves, but, it, you know, he's all right. He'll do a job. He's, I mean, he, he's worth a go instead of Navas. And Fernandinho and Otamendi and like everybody else who we played right back, you know, he's he, he's worth a go. Um, I think that really this might just be me. This might be my bias here, but I'm thinking I'd like to see um, Tossin Adebayo get more opportunities because um, you know you always like the local lads, don't you? Rather than people who you've brought in, we like the lads who have been there since they've been six, seven, eight years of age. Um, I'd like to uh, see him being given a few more opportunities, but you know, with the cup competitions and what have you, that never right kind of materialised. And now that's potentially someone who we all thought several years ago. Sam said something a minute ago about, oh well, it's the under 18s But the problem was, like three years ago, it was that under eighteen generation yeah, that was going to be the problem. It's not, it's not going to be a reassuring and, answer, um, yeah, because it's just always oh, the next group. It's the next. Well, group Tossing forever. was the big one. He's the one who was like, you know, captain of the under sixteens at fourteen, captain of the under eighteens at fifteen, captain of the under twenty ones at that point at like I think seventeen, eighteen, whatever. Um, or maybe, no, I think he was captain of the under-21s at, yeah, 17. So he was like the local ball lad who played on, you know, the crap pitches in Manchester. He was going to come through and be like this great defender, and he is good with the ball at his feet for his age, although he's a bit, you know, he's a bit all legs at times. Um, and he was going to be the man, but now he's going. And now it's always oh, the next under-18s, and it's Foden and, you know, Sancho. It's a, it's a problem for the whole... The rest I, of them. I think it is a problem for, for the actual academy, because I think academy, look, you'll know better than I do, but um, my perception would be that you need to have... You need to be able to show the players uh, a vision and a goal, and they need to be able to see that players are migrating and graduating from the academy into the first team and getting their chance. And I think it, it is a negative for the whole academy if we can't show those players that there is a progression to first-team football. And, and, and I think you have to try these players out. I think if we do end up in the Europa, for me, I would be playing complete reserve teams and youth teams and trying to go out of that competition as soon as possible, but at least allowing them the experience of, of, of having those games. But, but I would not, because I, I don't want any first-team players to play, and I think those players can get the opportunity of playing in some reasonable-sized games. I think it'll be chaos if we end up in the Europa League anyway, to be honest. I can't see that happening, but if it was, I can't see it happening. I, I don't want to throw a competition. I think big clubs <laughs> don't it, throw competitions, it, big clubs win trophies. We've done it ourselves in the last two years, in the FA Cup and the League Cup. Well, I wouldn't say we threw them. 
Um, although the Pellegrini the against Chelsea thing. FA Cup, yeah, and I think we arguably we did on the League Cup. Yeah, but I, 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 I must admit that I, I can't bring myself to have a conversation about next season's Europa League. I apologise. Uh, anyway, <laughs> listen, on that note, lads, it's been an hour and a half. Um, and yeah, we skipped loads of the agenda, so we probably could have run to two and a half hours. Um, thank you very much. I hope it wasn't too, uh, I hope it wasn't too annoying. Stefan, cheers. Thank you. Why, why'd you start with me on that basis? Hey. On the annoying He's bit. picking oh, on you, mate. He's uh, picking on I'm you. Sorry, I could have... No, I, could, I feel like I go to the others first. I thought I'd come to you first. It wasn't aimed directly at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you very much anyway. Um, it's a lot of times to, to give up during your day. Sam, thank you as well. Thanks, mate. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Paul, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Um, to everybody who listened, as always, thanks. Now, normally we would have asked the loads of questions that you've asked us on Twitter, but... We've taken up enough of your time as it is. We'll do probably, me and Lloyd will sit down and do a special podcast where we just go through a bunch of questions on Twitter and answer them. So yeah, in the meantime, um, if you like what we do, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, send us a tweet. We'll be back with another podcast very, very soon. Thanks for listening.